evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. Um, with me is my lovely and talented co-hostess, the bubbly and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jeannie. How are you? None of that. <laughs> and the best producer money can't buy. Very. Thank you for getting the sound issue sorted out so we could actually do a show. Um, Mixler, if Mixler were a person, I would recommend shooting it. It's sick. I don't know if I'd be that kind. <laughs> it's, it was pretty bad. Um, so, welcome to a few days before 2015. Happy fucking New Year. Uh, happy, happy, happy. <laughs> happy, happy. Never mind, it'll soon be um, um, Wait, Jan, how are you? Oh, um, really, really tired because um, the computer system at work now thinks I can do 89 hours worth of work in 40 hours. Um, I am having a really hard time keeping up. (laughs) So, not loving that. But other than that, outside of work, I'm great. Computers, they don't really know how people work. I wouldn't know. I just keep taking computers apart and rebuilding them. You need to rebuild the computer-based scheduling system my store uses because I am now doing the work of 2.1 people. So, yeah. It's good. Loving it. I, I don't need to work out anymore, I'll tell you that. Which is kind of nice. Um, so, I I think I'm going to go down to the store about Belarus, guys. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Belarus has had a really interesting few weeks. Um, because they're so closely tied to the economic problems in Russia... And Russia's having some massive economic problems since OPEC has decided to not stop pumping oil. They've had some really bad issues. Um, Belarus is taking extreme measures to stop a currency panic. Minsk. Belarus blocked online sales 
online stores and news websites Sunday in apparent attempt to stop a run on banks and shops as people rush to secure their savings. The Belarusian currency was dragged down by the slide of the Russian ruble last week, leading authorities to impose draconian measures, forbid price increases even for imported goods, and warn people against panic. In a statement Sunday, Bellapan News Company, which runs popular independent news websites Bellapan Buy and Navinity Buy, said that their sites were blocked Saturday without any warning. Clearly, the decision to block the IP addresses could only be taken by the authorities because in Belarus, the government has a monopoly on providing IPs, it said. Other websites blocked Sunday were Charter 97 by BelarusPartisan.org, UDF.BY, and others with an independent news outlook. The blockage started on December 19th when the government announced that Purchases of foreign currency will be taxed at 30% and told all exporters to convert half of their foreign revenue into local currency. Looks like the authorities want to turn a light panic over the fall of the Belarusian ruble into a real one. Belarus partisan website wrote calling the blockages December insanity. Internet shopping websites were also blocked en masse. 13 online stores were blocked Saturday for raising their prices or showing them in U.S. dollars, Deputy Trade Minister Arena Nakovich said, Interfax reported. The government announced a moratorium on price increases for consumer goods and ordered domestic producers of appliances to increase deliveries and keep prices at the same, uh, at, same at the risk of their management being sacked. The Belarusian ruble has lost about half of its value since the beginning of the year, having been hit hard by the depreciation of the Russian ruble since its economy is heavily heavily dependent on its giant neighbor. President Alexander Lushenko last week complained that Belarus had lost about a billion dollars due to the ruble slide, announcing a period of strict frugality starting with the new year. Everything depends on the people, he said, warning people not to rush like crazy to exchange savings. For us, it's important not to jump after the Russia into the abyss, he said. Lashenko was in Kiev on Sunday to revive efforts to host talks on the Ukrainian conflict. But a high-ranking Ukrainian official said the Belarusian president was equally keen to use the trip to build bridges to Europe to his dependence on an increasingly isolated Russia. Belarusians queued up to shop. Um, for four hours to clear out their bank accounts and swept store shelves to secure their savings, stocking up on foreign-made appliances and housewares. Some ATM machines even ran out of Belarusian rubles as people feared banks were preparing to block bank cards or introduce caps on cash withdrawals. At the central department store in the capital, people lined up to unload their savings and buy anything from television sets to fondue sets. Sorry, excuse me. It's Okay. Uh, me and my wife always argue over what to watch, so we're now buying a second television. And the washing machine, how could we resist, said a shopper who introduced himself as Ivan as he waited for his wife to finish queuing for small appliances. We have to do something with these Belarusian rubles, said a teacher named Ella, eyeing an expensive multi-cooker. In the bedding aisle, stock was completely sold out. It makes sense. The new shipment we received cost us 30% more, said department manager Alia Shyanka. With foreign currency swiftly depreciated in exchange offices, Belarusians even launched a black market website, dollarnash.com, where individuals can buy and sell dollars and euros. While the central bank's exchange rate on Sunday was 10,900 rubles to the dollar, rates on the websites were up to 17,000. So that's the beginning of what a bank crash looks like. That's the beginning of what a run on banks looks like. Um, 
I'm sort of surprised they haven't tried seizing the assets of the bank yet because that typically happens next. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly the same it hap- it, that happened to Germany after World War One. Mm-hmm. Money's getting worth less. People buy everything they can, which yep. just accelerates it. Well, you know, it, it, the same happened in Zimbabwe. Um, this is what happens when your currency really is worth nothing. The only thing that keeps money alive is our belief in it. It's like the tooth fairy and it's like Santa Claus. And when reality hits, it hits pretty fucking hard. Yeah, I mean, it's fine for the people who can afford to go out and buy all the consumer goods. Mm-hmm. But it's international trade that keeps your currency up, not internal. So. I know. They are screwed. (laughs) They're screwed. Russia's screwed. Um, Those economies are going to take a nosedive. And it's really funny. I thought we were headed for it first. But I guess not. Well, it's because the Russians uh, decided to try and throw their weight around with the oil and gas industries. So so now the Saudis (laughs) are showing them what weight is. (laughs) <laughs> well, they're they're not going to get far with that. No. Although the it is a nice side effect for us here having gas drop so low. That's kind of nice for the first time in years. Gas has been almost affordable considering the wages that most people are making in America now. Ah, well, over here it's hilarious for the SNP who <laughs> in the run up to the independence thing were like, oh, I we bet. all this oil and it's worth $200 a barrel, really? Mm. Yeah, that would have gone so well, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, We'd have gone from being a moderately well-off country to completely broke. <laughs> well, well, I mean, I think we're, in reality, there isn't a country on earth that isn't completely broke. Um, and when I talk about money being real only because we believe in it, I mean, that's kind of true. But um oh, complaining my volume's low. I'm gonna have to fiddle with Okay. <laughs> um when I talk about most money being real only because we believe in it, uh, that's actually an absolute truth. Um we don't really have a fungible currency as it were anymore. Um the real work you do, what it really should be worth, you're not being paid that. So and you can see where it's going, where 90% of your country is as poor as the top 3% is as wealthy. You know, the, the middle class is just generally being squeezed into nothingness. And the middle class is the heart of a country. They're the keeper of the memories, as as it were. And once you squeeze them into nothing... And sweep them away. There's nothing to stop you from changing that country completely. Yeah. So uh, I'm not in love with what's going on in Belarus. Um, not that I would be. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I I hope um, I hope there's an end in sight for them. So yeah. And I sure don't want to be where they are. 
Right, I'm doing a quick sound check. Okay. Hopefully that's me louder for the listeners. Okay. If you guys have any problems with audio volumes, let us know. Um, uh, because Mixler is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Okay. Um, speaking of currency... America's Federal Reserve is headed down a familiar and highly dangerous path. Steeped in denial of its past mistakes, the Fed is pursuing the same incremental approach that helped set the stage for the financial crisis of 2008-2009. The consequences could be similarly catastrophic. Consider the December meeting of the Federal Open Market Committee, where discussions ranging discussions of raising the benchmark federal funds rate were couched in adjectives rather than explicit actions. In line with prior forward guidance that the policy rate would be kept near zero for a considerable amount of time after the Fed stopped purchasing long-term assets in October, the FOMC declared that it can now afford to be patient in waiting for the right conditions to raise the rate. Add to that Fed Chair Janet Yellen's declaration that at least a couple more FOMC meetings would need to take place before any such liftoff occurs, and the Fed seems to be telegraphing a protected journey on the road to policy normalization. This bears an eerie resemblance to the script of 2004 to 2006, when the Fed's incremental approach led to the near-fatal mistake of condoning mounting, of condoning mounting excesses in financial markets and the real economy. After pushing the federal funds rate to a 45-year low of 1% following the collapse of the equity bubble in the early 2000s, the Fed's delayed policy normalization for an inordinarily long period. And when it finally began to raise the benchmark rate, it did so excruciatingly, excruciatingly slowly. In the 24 months from June 20, 2004, the FOMC raised the rates from 1% to 5.25% in 17 increments of 25 basis points each. Meanwhile, housing and credit bubbles were rapidly expanding, fueling excessive household consumption, a sharp drop in personal savings, and record current account deficit imbalances that set the stage for the meltdown that was soon to follow. Why does no one really put this in terms anybody can understand? I understand what I'm reading. Well, I'm going to I bore people. you to translate this shit to me into shit that I can actually understand. Mm. Um, basically, this, this was the beginning of the let's give a bunch of loans to people who can't afford them for houses and cars who are never going to be able to afford to pay them off. This was the beginning of the debt forgiveness. Um, it was also the beginning of us basically taking our funds and bailing out the banks, which kind of made it a fascist sort of move. You don't generally do that. But I guess considering we don't really make any money and we borrow all our money from the Federal Reserve, it's not really so far off. The Fed, of course, absolved itself of any blame in setting up the U.S. and the global economy for the Great Crisis. It was not monetary policy's fault, argued both former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan, that piece of shit, and Ben Bernanke, that other piece of shit. If anything, they insisted a lack of regulatory oversight was the culprit. Well, that's 
also kind of true. But when you consider there's a revolving door, basically between every industry and every regulatory agency, I guess that's to be expected. And that's from the FDIC on up to the FDA. Um, Everybody who works for them goes to work for industry and comes back and goes to work for industry and comes back. And I know that Citibank, I don't know if they still do it. I don't know if it's illegal or not. It's probably still legal to do this. When their people get a job working with the government regulatory agencies that cover banking, they give them a pension for life. They get all their insurance paid for and they get a pension for life. So that kind of tells you how cozy the regulators are with their former industries. So they're going to get the best terms. They're going to get the lowest punishments. Um, They're going to essentially get to do things that if if you and I stole a quarter of as much money from a company that we worked for, um, we would be in jail or worse. Um, These people, nothing happens to them. Nothing happens to them. They just keep creating crises and consolidating the wealth from the middle class into their own pocket. And we keep living less and less well, and they keep taking more and more of our money. So now they're set to do basically the same thing they did before. They want to take and flood the financial system with liquidity, which would mean that small businesses and other things would get be able to get loans again. But we saw what happened when we bailed out the banks. What did the banks do with that liquidity, Jeannie? They fucking kept it. They sat on it. They did nothing with it. And I don't know what makes us think this time will be any different. But I'm sure we're going to flood the market with liquidity. The banks are going to suck it up. And the average person will never see any of it. But we will get to bail them out, just like we're going to get to bail the insurance companies out if Obamacare fails. So that's kind of the one thing you can count on. I probably didn't need to read all that to tell you that, but that was kind of the inspiration for it. I said we would talk about money. So Janet Yellen, the new head of the Federal Reserve, seems set to stick by the same old, same old playbook. And it's funny because we have, at this point, a middle-out economy, and I think we all know that. No matter how rich you are, you can only buy so many pairs of pants, so many pairs of shoes. Um, The people that really create the wealth for a corporation or someone that manufactures things are the middle class. And when you take away their buying power, that's when everything starts going to crap. So, yeah. Uh, Again, Janie and I have a tip for you. Do not keep your money in the fucking banks. Convert it into something else. Something you can use. Something real. Putting it in the bank is about one of the worst things you can do. Especially when they said... Oh! Go. Go ahead. On that note, Mm -hmm. I got got an additional LED grow light... And an IBC tank for Christmas. Fucking <laughs> it. Good for you. Uh, we know who's going to actually be eating well when the shit hits the fan. <laughs> and that's probably not going to be 
me. But um, it's smart that you did that. Always prepare. Put aside whatever you can for you and your family as far as food goes. Because what's happening in Belarus is going to happen elsewhere. And that story I read you was from December 19th. There's been a massive news blackout on what's been happening economically in Belarus since then. So I would imagine things have not gone much better for those poor people. And, you know, the biggest problem with Americans is we have had the premise of the American dream for so long that people refuse to believe that this shit can happen to them. It happened to your grandparents. Yeah. You know, my my grandparents lived through Hitler. So, you know. I'm just saying, history is a big cycle, and it, it doesn't matter what history you're looking at, whether you're looking at, you know, um, the history of, of the First World War or whatever, you can see the economic conditions that led up to that, um, and you can see that happening in other countries. Um, you can see the economic conditions that led up to the Great Depression. They're happening right now. Um, these are all just things that happen, and the more you look at history, the more you see similarities. I see similarities between America and Rome. Nothing lasts forever, but you and your family are here and now, and that's what you have to take care of. Okay. Now that I've cheered everyone up for the new year, <laughs> let's talk about the NSA. Because there's never really anything to say about those bastards, right? There's a shit ton in these show notes about these crazy bastards. <laughs> oh, yeah, there is. Oh, gotta love them. God love them. They're just fantastic. No, we don't gotta love them. Jan. I'm being a smart-ass genie. <laughs> I know. They're um, horrible. They are. What they do is, is horrible. And I can't imagine... It's like I can't imagine with the bankers. Like, I I don't know how you can go to sleep at night knowing you bankrupted a pension fund. Knowing that, like, 80-year-old people are going to have to go out and get a fucking job. Or knowing that someone's going to bed hungry. I I have no idea what kind of morality, what kind of mindset it takes to be such an utter bastard that people are nothing. Okay. (laughs) So... NSA released a document dump, and I'm assuming no one noticed it. Christmas Eve? Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. At, like, way afternoon. So, you know, no one was paying attention to the news for a good long time. Oh, reports on compliance violations were published when basically no one would be paying attention to the internet or in the mood to think about unchecked government snooping for at least the next 30 hours. The American Civil Liberties Union on Friday accused the National Security Agency of using the holiday as cover to minimize the impact of its Christmas Eve document dump, which showed amidst heavy redaction that the agency's mass surveillance program has been targeting U.S. citizens went on for more than 10 years and was rife with both human error and technical mistakes. I certainly think the NSA would prefer to have the documents released right ahead of the holidays in order to have less public attention on what they contain, Patrick Toomey, 
a staff attorney at the ACLU's National Security Project, told The Guardian. Toomey told the paper that the documents made up of an annual and quarterly report filed since 2001 and released in response to a Freedom of Information lawsuit filed by the ACLU really vindicate some of the things Edward Snowden said when he first described the NSA surveillance in terms of the ability of analysts to conduct queries without authorization of raw Internet traffic. Posted to the NSA's website at 1.30 p.m. on Christmas Eve, the internal report reveals a large number of compliance violations, including examples of data on Americans being emailed to unauthorized recipients, stored in unsecured computers, and retained after it was supposed to be destroyed, according to a report by Bloomberg. The Guardian reported, Among the items redacted are sections detailing the number of violations reported, with many ending up like this entry from 2013. On redacted occasions during the fourth quarter, sections were incorrectly tasked because of typographical errors. This makes the scale of the problem difficult to gauge. Toomey said the ACLU would continue to sue for release for release of those numbers. More generally, Toomey said, just the range of different compliance violations makes it clear that every step of the NSA's collection of information, there are vulnerabilities that leave the privacy of Americans at risk. <laughs> we didn't know that. We thought they were just stealing all of our messages, reading all of our stuff on Facebook and everything that went through Skype. And they were just being so careful with it because that's just the kind of guys they are. In fact, let's talk about just the kind of guys they are for just a minute. NSA analysts spied on spouses and girlfriends. Years of reports for the President's Intelligence Oversight Board showed the NSA analysts were caught mishandling surveillance data and spying on people through their jobs. Analysts with the NSA, the NSA have been abusing surveillance data to spy on significant others and spouses for more than a decade, heavily redacted government documents show. The cache of previously top-secret reports are, are in the dozens and were quietly released New Year's Eve, sorry, Christmas Eve by the NSA for a records request by the American Civil Liberties Union. The documents detail allegations and findings of mishandled data and illegal surveillance among the agency's employees. In one of the reports, an NSA intern reported his colleague for allegedly spying on his former, um, sorry, his foreign girlfriend and another NSA analyst searched her spouse's telephone records for at least two years before being told to stop. That's good to know. If you work for the NSA, after two years, they will tell you to stop doing highly illegal and shady shit. The NSA also punished an unidentified soldier for targeting their soldier spouse. As a result, that soldier was demoted with reduced pay and slapped with a 45-day service extension. An analyst also lost security clearance for looking up the phone number of a friend's son. The document dump of quarterly reports from 2001 to 2013 were intended for the President's Intelligence Oversight Board to keep track of wrongdoing amid the controversial agency. The request, however, came too late for ACLU attorneys who expected the documents to be delivered by December 22nd. I certainly think the NSA would prefer to have the documents released right ahead of the holidays, right? which we, we know about that. The NSA shipped the documents late Monday, but the ACLU didn't receive the records until Tuesday afternoon, going against the previously agreed-upon deadline between the NSA and the ACLU, The Guardian reported. 
The records are littered with redactions, eliminating the most salacious details, except for minor reports only, described as human error, where staffers observed communication between U.S. citizens before apparently purging the data from its servers. Some data was never deleted, though, and remained on unsecured servers beyond its destruction date, the documents note. NSA goes to great lengths to secure compliance with the Constitution, laws, and regulations, an NSA spokesperson wrote, defending its reports in a summary with this week's release. The reports also show allegations surrounding a Navy cryptologist unlawfully targeted his ex-wife through his job. Prior claims by NSA whistleblower Edward Snowden that analysts frequently shared nude photos obtained through surveillance are never addressed in the security reports. Well, that's reassuring because all the other stuff they were doing was absolutely fine and totally above board. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, yeah, there's a policewoman in Edinburgh Mm -hmm. working in their files section who was just interested in one of her neighbors Mm -hmm. so looked up information. She was fired. (laughs) It's like misuse of powers. Well, we don't fire you for that shit here. We let you no. do the same shit for two years before we say anything. Two years. Jeannie, have you got any comments on the two years thing? Or any of it? <laughs> I'm just surprised it was that quick. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am too. Yeah, the wheels of government turn ever so slowly. You know, Seth MacFarlane's going to have to rewrite American Dad. Instead of Stan <laughs> being CIA, he should be NSA. Because, yeah, it's... I don't know. It, it, I, I it's like, like, it's like American Dad. I've got to admit, uh, American Dad is... I don't watch much TV, but it is one of my favorite shows when I do watch TV. I love Stan Smith. Yeah. <laughs> but all the stuff the NSA seem to have been getting up to, that's what Stan does on the show. <laughs> yeah, very true. Actually... I think they all kind of do the same thing. They just don't admit it. Well, not all of them. I don't think the FBI does exactly the same thing. But I think they all misuse and abuse power. And this is why we weren't really supposed to have any federal regulatory agencies. All the powers were actually enumerated to the states pretty much, except for the very few that were enumerated to the federal government. We seem to have lost... um, sight of that in the past few hundred years. I really like to see what the mass population would do if they ever had an exact number of the amount of federal regulatory agencies. Oh, good Lord. Um, There are just... I think even the government lost came somewhere back in the 60s. Yeah, because for the most part, people think that there's like 10. No, there's not. <laughs> but, I mean, generally speaking, I'm telling you, most people think there's like 10. And they are so, so very wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, there's hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands by now. You well, know, look at what and- happened at Waco. There was drugs, there was guns, there was people being held against her will, and eight different agencies turned up. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, now it's really, there's so many federal agencies, it's almost unclear who does what and who has jurisdiction over what, over who. Um, but one thing's for sure, if they could make it illegal, they did, just to make their lives easier. <sighs> just scary shit. Um, does anybody know anything about the TISA Act? Just what I read in this. Kind of fucked up, isn't it? There's, yeah. There's not enough of these, there's not enough of these um, trade deals going on. We need a few hundred thousand more. That way we can all just live in stick shacks with dirt floors. That'd be good. Uh, The Ugly Ramifications of the Trade and Services Act. Much has been written, at least in the alternative media, about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and the Transatlantic Trade and Investment Partnership. Two multilateral trade treaties being negotiated between the representatives of dozens of natural national governments and armies of corporate lawyers and lobbyists. And there's a bunch of links which I can grab for you after I'm done reading, if you're interested. I'll get them. Okay. However, much less is known about the decidedly more secretive Trade and Services Act, TISA, which involves more countries than either of the other two, at least until now, that is. Thanks to a leaked document jointly published by the Associated Whistleblowing Press and the very what's the word I'm reading here begins with an F. Fultrala. Fultrala. The potential ramifications of the treaty being hashed out behind hermetically sealed doors in Geneva are finally seeping out to the public arena. If signed, the treaty would affect all services ranging from electronic transactions and data flow to veterinary and architectural services. It would almost certainly open the floodgates to the final wave of privatization of public services, including the provision of health care, education, and water. Meanwhile, already privatized companies would be prevented from a retransfer to the public sector by so-called barring ratchet clause, even if the privatization failed. More worrisome still, the proposal stipulates that no participating state can stop the use, storage, and exchange of personal data relating to their territorial base. There, here is more from Rosa Parvanali, General Secretary of the Public Services International. The leaked documents confirm our worst fears that TISA is being used to further the interests of some of the largest corporations on Earth. Negotiations of unrestricted data movement, internet neutrality, and how electronic signatures can be used strike at the heart of individual rights. Governments must come clean about what they are negotiating in these secret trade deals. Fat chance of that, especially in light of the fact that the text is designed to be almost impossible to repeal and is to be considered confidential for five years after being signed. What that effectively means is that the U.S. approach to data protection, read virtually non-existent, could very soon become the norm across 50 countries spanning the breadth and depth of the industrial world. Big Brother goes global. The main players in the top-secret negotiations are the United States and all 28 members of the European Union. However, the broad scope of the treaty also includes Australia, Canada, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Hong Kong, Iceland, Israel, Japan, Liechtenstein, Mexico, New Zealand, Norway, Pakistan, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, South Korea, Switzerland, Taiwan, and Turkey. 
Combined, they represent almost 70% of all trade in services worldwide. An explicit goal of the Tyson negotiations is to overcome the exceptions in the GATS that protect certain non-tariff trade barriers such as data protection. For example, the draft financial service annex of TISA, published by WikiLeaks in June 2014, would allow financial institutions such as banks the free transfer of data, including personal data, from one country to another. As Ralph Bendrath, senior policy advisor to MEP Jan Philip Albright, writes in State Watch, this would constitute a radical carve-out from current European data protection rules. The transfer and analysis of financial data from EU to U.S. authorities for the U.S. terrorist finance tracking program has already shaken EU-U.S. relations in the past and led the European Parliament to veto a first TFTP agreement in 2010. With the draft of the text of the TISA leak, all floodgates would be opened. This weakening of EU data protection rules through TISA goes further than only the financial sector. According to sources close to the negotiations, a draft of the TISA Electronic Commerce and Telecommunication Services Annex contains provisions that would ban any restrictions on cross-border information flows and localization requirements for ICT service providers. A provision proposed by U.S. negotiators would rule out any conditions for the transfer of personal data to third countries that are already in place in EU data protection law. Given Edward Snowden's startling revelations of the scale and scope of NSA snooping on European citizens, companies, and political leaders, much of it facilitated by its junior surveillance partner, the UK's General Communications Headquarters, the GCHQ, the prospect of completely unhindered cross-border information and data flows should set off alarm bells across the old continent. Unfortunately, that isn't the case for the simple reason that most people are blissfully unaware of it, thanks in large part to the near-complete absence of mainstream coverage and public debate on the issue. The end of privacy as we know it. As for the EU, divining its real intentions concerning data protection is an almost impossible task. Publicly, it is in favor of strengthening data protections. There have even been proposals to introduce changes to the routing of Internet data packets so they take a certain path and remain within the EU. In the European Parliament, an amendment was tabled by the Green Party to encrypt all Internet traffic from end to end and was adopted as part of a compromise on the committee vote in February. As regards national security, the Council of Europe ministers responsible for media and information society stated in November 2013 that any data collection or surveillance for the purpose of protection of national security must be done in compliance with existing human rights and rule of law requirements, including Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. Given the growing technological capabilities for electronic mass surveillance and the resulting concerns, we emphasize that there must be adequate and effective guarantees against abuse which may undermine or even destroy democracy. Private, however, EU trade negotiators, that is, the people with the real power, are coming under intense U.S. pressure to sign away virtually all European data protection rights. As Bendrath notes, U.S. lobbying efforts through groups such as the Orwellian-named Coalition for Privacy and Free Trade have been pushing for inter interoperability 
between European and American rules on both sides of the Atlantic. That basically means a mutual recognition on the respective rules on both sides. The only catch in the United States, there are currently no comprehensive data protection laws in place. If the U.S. negotiators get their way, and let's face it, when it comes to dealings with its so-called allies, Washington invariably does, multinational corporations will have carte blanche to pry into just about every facet of the working and personal lives of the inhabitants of roughly a quarter of the world's 200 or so nations. Such a prospect should worry us all. Exploitation of big data serves today to shape our consumption. It can reveal our whereabouts at all times, our conduct, preferences, feelings, or even our most intimate thoughts. If TISA is signed in its current form, and we will not know what form that is until at least five years down the line, that data will be freely bought and sold on the open marketplace without our knowledge. Companies and governments will be able to store it for as long as they desire and use it for just about any purpose. Perhaps the most perverse irony is that while the corporations and their servants in our elected, or in the case of the EU, unelected government, seek to turn our lives into a vast open book of actionable or monetizable data, their own actions are increasingly being conducted behind an impenetrable blanket of darkness and secrecy. And as John F. Kennedy once said during a little-known speech on the grave threat posted by the Soviet Union, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. Very. Yes. Thoughts? um, I'm kind of aware of a lot of this going on. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really um, holding back the trade deals because even the British government don't want to give away their data protection laws. Um, even though, of course, GCHQ ignore the data protection laws anyway. Right. And this is one reason why the British government don't want to get rid of them. Because if they get rid of them, the public then know there's no data protection. Right. And spying on people will be common knowledge, not something that happens in secret. Right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the people negotiating TISA in the US haven't thought of that. (laughs) It it doesn't really... You're basically telling the world, we're going to make it all right for us to spy on everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, Pretty much. Yeah. But, yeah, you're better doing it with, we shall have data protection laws. But this government agency is exempt, which is what (laughs) GCHQ do. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm I'm not sure who I trust less, Google or the NSA. Well, (laughs) I think you'll find there's people who have worked for both. Yeah, but we trusted Google to start with, really? No, but you know what I'm saying. Like, at least with the NSA, I can sort of pretend I pay their salary and they should care for me somewhat as a human being, even though it's not really true. With Google, I'm under no such illusion. So, I don't know if it's worse that Facebook and Google have all this data and can do whatever the fuck they feel like with it, or that the government has this data. And it can send it around the world 
to anybody who wants it and sell it and trade it. I think it's worse with the government having the ability to do that. Well, because part of why I, the I am entitled are, to some Fourth Amendment protections. It's part allegedly. of why the governments are doing this <laughs> is because these big companies can do it, but they're doing it within the law. Um, whereas the government have been a bit slow on picking up digital data. Well, <clears throat> not in the UK, but <laughs> in most of the world, yeah, the data collection by governments has been kind of slow. Right. But yeah, Google, Facebook, um, Yahoo, all <laughs> all the companies that have used the internet heavily have all well, collected giant amounts of data. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, and the governments are just pissed off that they won't just hand it over. Well, does anybody remember a few years ago when, you know how if you have a droid, I have a droid, I love my droid. Yeah. It's an old droid, so it can't really do as much. Uh, and there's, there was reasons for me limiting myself to something older, not something newer. Um, and it's because it can't do so much. But uh, anyway, your, your droid is kind of forced to shake hands with a lot of other phones and, and other things, and that's just written into the programming. Yeah, um, like Google, your droid won't fucking work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it was all kind of written into the program. And like I said, I love my droid. I'm not an Apple kind of gal, although I'm seriously thinking about it. Um, does anybody remember that program they had a few years ago where when you walked into a store... They had these sort of things in the metal detectors in the door that would shake hands with your phone and find out everything about you and then send targeted um, ads to your cell phone and then to your Facebook. Oh, yeah. It was a pretty big deal. People were up in arms about it, and they basically stopped (laughs) the program. The sad thing is people were pissed off about that, and yet you talk about the NSA – Tysa, Fisa, Sisa, Sopa, Pippa. People don't really seem to give a fuck. And it's basically the same thing, except anybody who wants to can pay any government in the world to find out anything about you. That should freak you out a little bit. Well, technically, they can do that anyway. I but know. this would just make it easier. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the phone handshaking thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My phone completely blocks all advertising. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not a big ad fan myself. So I keep you getting see how many ad blockers spaces. I have when I use social media. <laughs> it takes like 20 minutes for me to load posts sometimes because it loads all sorts of stuff. To just stop trackers, stop cookies, stop this, stop that. It's 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 almost entertaining except that it slows me down so much. But. It slows me down a lot. It makes me less easy to track. I'm good with that. Not that I'm not an open book. But there's certain things I shouldn't have to share with people that I choose not to. And that's not me doing anything shady or weird. It's just, it's the same reason we have doors on our fucking houses. It's the same reason we have blinds on our windows. It's because... You want to have just a little place left where there's that sanctity of just you. 
and not just you in your own skull. Because I'm sure they're working on a way to crack that too. I just don't know about it yet. I'm sure that wonderful company over there is doing some great work on that, Barry. <laughs> ah, yes. Okay. Well, no, I haven't seen them get a contract for that yet. But, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure if the government doesn't have to crack your skull to find out what you're thinking about, they won't do it. But, you know, it'll all be to keep us safe. Well, they so, can already no detect worries. Um, brain activity them. at a reasonable distance. It's just they've uh, decoded the communication method the brain uses yet. Well, I'm sure they're working on it. They usually are. Well, yeah, I mean, technically they've cracked bits for um, small things, but uh, yeah. They basically have to put implants in your head to get anything good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no worries. Um, they were doing, and Jeannie, I'm sure you remember this, they were doing those experiments on the soldiers with shocking them. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Well, I'm sure a lot of the military experiments are leading up to something wonderful and new in the technological way of shaping how we think. <laughs> Go watch the film, Gamer. No, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I think some of the Orwellian shit, I imagine, is much worse than what they've actually got planned. Um, But I just have no reason left to trust them. No, no, it's it's not the planned stuff I worry about. It's all the random stuff they get up to. Oh, yeah. DARPA, I mean... They really need to keep an eye more on DARPA. Well, DARPA does some of the... DARPA and their... Does anybody remember the DARPA cheetah? The 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 machine they built that had the capability to run as fast as a cheetah. Imagine that with good artificial intelligence, not the shit algorithms they're using on Facebook. But imagine something like that with good artificial intelligence out there. That's kind of what worries me. Because you know it all eventually leads up to that, unless we completely run out of money and just wind up living back like we did in the Stone Ages. And for anybody who thinks that's a good alternative, (laughs) I want you to pick up a book called Wisconsin Death Trip. (laughs) And I want you to read it. Because... That book is about what happened to people who lived during those times. It, that would not be fun at all. Okay. Um, city Sioux in effort to overturn voter-approved ban on red light cameras. This is bullshit. In November... Voters in St. Charles County, Missouri, approved a charter amendment that prohibits municipalities within the county from using red light cameras to enforce traffic laws. According to KMOV TV St. Louis, 73% of voters gave support for the ban, overwhelmingly sending a message that citizens in the county did not approve of the cities using the cameras, which are seen as a revenue-generating tool. However, the cities of St. Peter's, Lake St. Louis, Lewis and O'Fallon are suing in an effort to reverse the ban, 
claiming that the county government has no authority over municipalities' traffic rules. KMOV-TV's St. Louis cited a statement by the city of St. Peter's on the issue which said no authority exists for St. Charles County to lay claim to the regulation of traffic on city streets. Proponents of red light cameras claim the devices promote safe driving and that the ballot measures banning them was titled in a manner that misled voters. The charter amendment was titled Proposition Red Light Cameras. John Young, an attorney representing the plaintiffs in this case, says that the suit could take months or even years to work its way through the courts. Meanwhile, red light cameras in the county remain in place pending the forthcoming ruling, though they have been kept in a powered-off state since September. St. Charles Councilman Joe Brazel, who opposes the use of red light cameras, commented on the politics of the lawsuit. 73% of the voters pass a ban on red light cameras, so what these cities are doing are suing 73% of the voters in St. Charles County within their own cities. They're suing their own residents. St. Louis Today notes that O'Fallon Councilman Jim Prepper and Darlene Prairie and Dardine Prairie Mayor Pam Fogarty personally signed on to the lawsuit against the Charter Amendment banning red light cameras, which bears political risk given the fact that a strong majority of St. Charles County voters came out in the polls in support of the ban. The plaintiffs claim that they have standing to go forward with the lawsuit, which was filed in St. Charles County Circuit Court, because the cities involved would lose revenue if the ban were to be enforced. Roger Dowski a local supporter of the ban on red light cameras who was interviewed by KMOS-TV St. Louis said, the federal government has jurisdiction over the states, states have jurisdiction over the counties, the counties have jurisdictions over the municipalities. So it's fairly clear that they have the right to impose those laws on the municipalities, especially if those laws are voted into law by the voters. Thoughts? I don't understand how they think that the people didn't understand what they were voting on. Oh, they understood. <laughs> they don't they don't like being fucking watched any more than you or I do. That's what they were voting on. Well, yeah. Now all of these sort of cameras, uh I don't care what anyone tells you, the majority of these places get them in to get revenue. Of course they do. Of course um, they do. Well, I worked as a parking attendant, traffic warden right. in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And the council there were, oh, all the parking regulations, the cameras and everything, it's nothing to do with money. It's all about <laughs> safety, keeping traffic flowing, etc. It's health and we safety. We went on strike for two days. That's how long it took before the council told the company we work for to come to a settlement because they were losing £50,000 a day God. in revenue. That's crazy. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. We have I to think- make our money to keep our big government turning and we will just tell you that it's for your own good. Yep. <laughs> and you will believe us because you're not paying attention. I think people are paying attention. I think a lot more people are paying more attention than you think. 
Well, and obviously 73% of the people that voted were paying attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I want to be spied on and do I want my government to extort money from me for maybe going a mile over the speed limit? No, I don't want that. Fair, right? We lived without them before, didn't we? Mm-hmm. There was a time where there were no red light cameras. Um, I don't know that the streets have gotten any safer. Uh, I understand observing traffic, the flow and, and all that stuff. But when you take that and monetize it, it turns people into a source of revenue and they're uncomfortable with that. Who wouldn't be? Aren't you? I'm uncomfortable when I have to pay my fucking taxes every year. <laughs> Tell me about yeah. it. I mean, when these cameras, sort of cameras, first came in, yes, mm-hmm. they saw drops in accidents and such like in the areas where they were brought in. Mm-hmm. But recent data from some places in England, there's one council had fought to have, I think it was 20 new cameras installed. So when the road safety independent people looked at those Mm -hmm. areas there was no change in the figures after the cameras were installed you know it's absolutely amazing to me how that happens um i mean they work in some cases some places the cameras do people put people off doing stupid things right but you can't just stick it to a vote and the people approve it fine yeah i'm i'm fine with that it's the fact they want to put them everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But when you put it to a vote and the people say no, then that's no. Well, that's how it should work. Did that work when they were trying to pass the uh, tobacco control bill in the EU? When people voted <laughs> no, did it matter? Not really. Well, okay. they're not medicines. That, that That's about what we got out of them. Right. Um, the the amendments we got voted in got basically kicked back out again behind closed doors. So And yeah. and that's the problem. We we tell them no. Whether it's a consultation, whether it's by voting, we tell them no. We do not give you our consent. And they say no, well fuck you, we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. That's a problem. That's a problem with government from the top down. They're too big. They're too insulated from their own decisions. Don't you think there's a part of them that knows they're doing the wrong thing? And there has to be, right? There's some shred of humanity left in these pieces of shit. I think you're giving them... They have to know that they're going against the will of the people who elected them. I mean, do they really have no fear that they won't get reelected? It's it's not that. It's just they they don't have the ability to think it through. They're not smart enough. (sighs) They're looking at the short term, not the long term. Oh, this will be good now. Oh, but what about in two years' time? Oh, uh, well, I won't be here. I'll be doing something else. (laughs) That's kind of how things go. It's distressing because, you know, it used to be that we had that power over them. I do not consent. 
I do not consent was your power. And now, fuck you, we're going to do it anyway, is the response. How do you respond to that? How does anyone respond to that? What do you do to combat that? Well, a good, a good one in the UK was the smoking in cars. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. they couldn't get this through an anti-smoking regulation because people kept putting it in. So instead they sneaked it in in a child safety um, review, an update to the child safety laws, which didn't have to be voted on because it was just an update to the original law. No, that that's 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 what the British government's get up to. <laughs> it's like, hmm, we couldn't get it through because people complained about it. We'll just <laughs> stick it in this other place that nobody's looking at. We do that all the time here too. And I yeah. say we, I don't mean we us little peons down here that keep voting for the same corrupt fuckers. <laughs> I mean I mean the royal we up there on the hill with their you know White coats and dirty hands. Those people don't give a shit about us. So they don't you live or die as long as their salary is paid with taxes. Um, mm-hmm. And they, if you die, then the next motherfucker born is going to be paying those taxes anyway. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as it's long as they very keep hard getting to combat. all those little uh, privileges. Yes. Well, it is, and it's very hard to combat that. Um, I do as I please as long as I don't (laughs) hurt anybody else because I know in my mind I'm free but the government does not share the same view yeah for people who aren't aware they should really look at how Sweden deals with its politics (laughs) completely different to the rest of the world well I mean their politicians don't get shit. They don't get anything special. They don't get yep. a lot of money. They don't get special treatment. They don't get allowances for housing or living. Um, <laughs> here's a dorm. Enjoy. Yeah, I laughed when they came up with that one. That was brilliant. Oh, well, you need to you need to buy a flat if you want to work in Parliament because you live too far away. No, no, no. We'll build this block <laughs> block you can all live in. Here, here, enjoy your dorm. Yeah. Sleep well. Um, I thought that was brilliant. Well, it is brilliant. It actually through. saves the taxpayers a lot of money, and it really does cut down on corruption. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if we'd have the same kind of luck here, um, but it is a a great idea. I really like it. Yeah. And. I just don't know what you do when they basically say, oh, you voted no? Yeah, we're going to sue you. But that's where we are. And that's with the local government, which I've always said, um, if you can get your tentacles, not tentacles, but if you can get your hands into the local government, you can actually affect real change. And that story is really making me rethink that whole thought process. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is so complex with the way the different layers of government are set up. You, they can probably get through whatever they want, no matter what you do. It's In many ways, it's less complex than the U.K. Um, 
and it's hard for them to sneak stuff through. Cheery thoughts for the new year, everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I was watching a, a Noam Chomsky video the other day. Like, I, I will go anywhere and listen anybody to find out the truth. And Noam Chomsky's definition of anarchy is questioning the systems in place and if they can't justify their existence, dismantling them and giving the power to the people at the bottom to rebuild it from the ground up, which is kind of interesting. Because uh, my personal definition of, of anarchy has nothing to do with that. But I thought that was just interesting coming from a self-identified anarchist. So, food for thought. He ain't an anarchist. <laughs> He's just pretending to be one. He's um, different. Yeah. Noam Chomsky, he's very smart. Oh, yeah. But his worldview is very... It's because he's un- very smart. That's why I say he, he, he's not an anarchist. He has a very unusual view. He thinks all corporations should be owned by the workers. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting stuff there. Um. It's just uh, really interesting the different views people have. But go ahead. As it that 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 sort of thinking that's what perks up Marxists. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's why I said I I don't know that I would call him an anarchist either no, because I don't. Th- when that I think Marxist, <laughs> I think Marx. When I think yeah. anarchist, I think Lysander Spooner. Well, I, when I think of anarchist, I, I don't think of one particular person because it's anarchy. It's completely random. That's the whole point. Well, right. But what I'm saying is I, I just think of the philosophy of Lysander Spooner, if that makes yeah. any sense. That's just someone I actually identify with. Um, An anarchist, um, Lloyd and um, other guy, Dumb and Dumber. That's anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. <laughs> I don't actually even know if that's true either. Well, I think no, it's, it's more complex than that. But yeah, yeah, that's it's a, a that, that's the one I like to use as an example. Well, <laughs> Have you seen Dumb and Dumber? Those two well, guys, they yeah, but do I also think there's yeah. things in that are appealing because it's all about cooperating in a voluntary way with other people. You know, it's about not being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and so much politics is about being an asshole. I don't know. I'm well, just well, finding my way along the, the road the with lawyers, my white know. cane here, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> you know, I used to be something, and I'm not that anymore. I don't know what I am, but... Should be an interesting journey, I guess. Um, speaking of interesting journeys, in the show notes, I referred to this as the lawsuit against a film. This is a lawsuit against a film. Former Canvas official files federal suit against Edward Snowden documentary. 
A former Canvas Secretary of Transportation has filed a federal lawsuit seeking to keep Edward Snowden and filmmakers from profiting from a documentary about his release of classified information on covert government surveillance programs. Horace Edwards is asking the court to order a government seizure of the proceeds from the film Citizen Four, which chronicles Snowden's evolution from national security agency contractor to whistleblower to international celebrity fugitive. The suit was filed Friday in a Topeka federal court. This lawsuit seeks relief against those who profiteer by pretending to be journalists, but in effect are evading the law by betraying their own country, Edwards' lawsuit states. Though this charade in the film Citizen Four, a fugitive senior intelligence official, together with Hollywood defendants, internationally violate obligations owed to the American people, misuse purloined information disclosed to foreign enemies, and covert financial gain for their misconduct. Snowden's release of information confirmed mammoth U.S. government surveillance of email, phone calls, web searches, and other data of citizens in the United States and allied nations. The film draws its title from Snowden's assumed identity at the beginning of his efforts to reveal the extent of NSA surveillance. It has won several awards from film critics and is considered a potential frontrunner for an Academy Award. Citizen 4 director Laura Poitras was one of four co-winners of the George K. Polk Award in a national security reporting this year. She did not immediately answer an email seeking comment, and a receptionist at Radius TWC, the Weinstein Company, which is handling domestic distribution of the film, said no one was available to discuss Edward's lawsuit. In addition to Snowden, Poitras, and the Weinstein Company, the defendants in Edwards' lawsuit include Pixar Films, Participant Media, and executive producers Diane Weinerman and Jeffrey Skull. Snowden is living at an undisclosed location in Russia where he fled to avoid U.S. prosecution in 2013. The Justice Department has charged him with violating U.S. Espionage Act and theft of government property. Edwards, who lived in Tupac, Topeka did not immediately return a phone call seeking comment on his lawsuit. In addition to having served as transportation secretary during the administration of Governor Mike Hyden, Edwards, 89, also identifies himself in the lawsuit as a retired Navy Lieutenant JQ who held a Q security clearance to work on nuclear submarines and the former president of ARCO Pipeline and his own engineering company, Edwards Associates Incorporated. In 2004, Edwards sought to run for U.S. Senate against then-Senator Stan Brownback, but Edwards failed to muster the 5,000 valid voter signatures he needed to qualify for the ballot. Much of Edwards' lawsuit consists of expression of anger over Snowden's disclosures. Quote, as a member of the movie-going public who purchased a ticket to Citizen Four and watched the documentary, he, Edwards, was outraged by the admissions of defendant Edward J. Snowden detailing his government status as a former CIA, NSA, DIA officer with special high-level security clearances, proclaiming himself to be above the law, choosing to preach his government security agreements, and his loyalty oath to the United States internationally cherry-picking extraordinary quantities and categories of highly classified government information and passing on the information to Citizen Four film director Laura Poitras, as well as others, the lawsuit said. Plaintiff Edwards views defendant Snowden's act as dishonorable and indefensible and not the acts of a legitimate whistleblower. What makes a whistleblower legitimate? 
<laughs> yeah, because pretty much all whistleblowers are breaking the law. Therefore, I'm sorry that that was my lame ass attempt at, at a joke, and it wasn't no. funny at all. But yeah, <laughs> how exactly are would they be legitimate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm waiting to see what Weinstein comes out with for the counter suit. Because that's what the Weinstein Corporation tend to do. They've been in court an awful lot. They know what they're doing. And they yeah. have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think Mr. Edwards is in a bit of trouble. Uh, I think he's out of his goddamn mind. Yeah. Why would you... Okay. Why would Harvey you Weinstein hasn't that? lost a court case. I don't think he's going to start now. Yeah. Well, right. But I'm saying, <laughs> why would you go see a movie you knew was going to piss you off? For for one thing, what kind of a human being does that? Uh, moaning bastards, which he's one of. <laughs> I, well, I you know I keep watching, um, pay it forward, thinking that you know the end is going to stop pissing me off, and it hasn't happened yet. So, um, me. But have you sued the filmmakers? No. I just Enough, don't understand um, the logic of that. It's kind of it, coming it, down to he's he he's disgruntled that these people are going to be making money out of these leaked national secrets. And you're like, well, then somebody give really him a sign fifty back and tell him to shut the fuck up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I like Jeannie's solution. That's good yeah. for me. But yeah, this is how the whole of the business industry works as well. They're all spying on each other and stealing data. But he's not complaining about that. He's complaining about, you know, oh, they made public things that I didn't like. <laughs> well, you know, I wasn't a big fan of Wally either, but you don't see me suing Walt Disney. <laughs> well, it'd be hard uh, to sue Walt. Um, well, no, his head is still yeah, on ice, Barry. I could sue that. It's not taken. His head is still on ice closed. and it still retains uh, a lot of money. Mm. Yeah. But, She's right. But it's not actually a person you can take to court. You don't know that. No, the way you don't the, know the that they can stick his written. head in a jar <laughs> like they did in Futurama. <laughs> Wheel it right into court. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 officially dead, so you can't actually sue him. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying I, that's absolutely ridiculous. Hmm. A lot of the news has been like that. Um, but let's get down to the good stuff. Let's get down to the gun stories. <laughs> Do the second one first. The second one first. Yeah, I've got I've got a few. Yeah, because that one that doesn't piss me off. <laughs> this one? Can you see where I am? The picture of the lady in the red sweater? No, the other one. Okay. Okay. Oh, the lady in the red sweater I almost like. Mm. <laughs> She's actually, that wasn't the worst story I saw. The second one? Are you sure? Because this one, this one, the one I've highlighted in blue, yeah. the one that's okay. Yeah, this, this one annoys me. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Anti-gun PSA encourages kids to steal parents' guns and turn them into teachers. A provocative public service announcement released by a San Francisco-based production company encourages children to put themselves at risk and commit a slew of crimes by stealing their parents' guns from home and turning them in at school. 
In the anti-gun ad published December 13 by Sleeper 13 Productions, a boy who appears to be in his early teens is shown walking up the stairs of his home and wandering into his mother's bedroom. The boy is shown opening the drawer to his mother's dresser where a handgun is hidden. The boy takes the gun from the dresser and leaves the room. The ad then flashes to his school. Sitting in the classroom, the boy ventures up to his teacher's desk after the rest of his classmates have left. The tension building in the scene breaks, and the boy produces the gun from his backpack, slamming it down on his teacher's startled, startled teacher's desk. Can you take this away? I don't feel safe with a gun in my house, the boy says. What the ad makers are encouraging is, a highly, is highly illegal and invites danger. The boy would be guilty of weapons theft, illegal concealed carry, and carrying a weapon on school property. The ad's director, Regina Senek, took to Twitter to taunt those she says are afraid to share her ad. Lots of people are afraid to share my PSA. If you are not a coward, please share. And if you click on the link, the video is now private. Requests made to Sleeper 13 Productions and Sicknick were not immediately returned. Yeah. Genie, go. <laughs> what? How is it? How how did this thing get classified as a fucking PSA to start with? That's what I want. Bloomberg money. Let's go with Bloomberg money. That seems to be the popular answer. I, <laughs> so yeah, let's encourage children to go and put firearms in their hands that they have no business touching. Let's encourage them to take them into a fucking school. And, you know, then let's encourage children to tell teachers that their parents, who have literally done nothing to harm them, make them feel in danger. And this is a bright idea in somebody's form of fucking reality. Well, it's not the reality I live in. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it's got a lot to do with reality. (laughs) Delusion, yeah, but not reality. Everything's dangerous. More people get killed every year by hammers. Why don't we encourage kids to take hammers to school and give them to the teachers? Get the hammer out of my house. My dad's always, you know, whacking his thumb and screaming and bleeding. Now we've got a Pink Floyd video running in my head. Uh, (laughs) It's got a claw on the end. Oh, no. I told you I like the other story. This one just fucking pisses me off. Yeah, it's it's completely bonkers. <laughs> how about how about somebody that's got more money than I do because I don't have it to throw around, but somebody with more fucking money than me sue these ignorant bastards for endangering the welfare of a child because that's what they're doing. Yeah, well, that and they're they're inciting children to break the law. Mm-hmm. They are. Them, um, literally, if she'd done something like this in the UK. She would currently be in court because she's inciting people to break the law. And she that's should against be in the law. jail. <laughs> she's endangering the welfare of a child. And I mean, yeah. that's supposed to be what these people are all about. The children, the children, save the children. Um, encourage the children to bring a school, a gun to school because that doesn't cause hysteria. No. And people don't get killed Which, over that. by the way, with all the zero tolerance rules on the books in most school districts, will get the child expelled for life. Mm-hmm. Always a good plan. Always a good plan. And the police will be uh, 
keeping an eye on them as soon as they come of age, just in mm. case. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So that happened. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, that happened. So uh, the nice part is you can't see the video anymore, <laughs> I guess. The sad part is people have already seen it. I heard, I've heard the audio from it. Oh, you've heard the audio from it's, it. That's got to be just as bad. It's insane. Um, <laughs> these people are out of their... You know, these people are out of their fucking minds. <clears throat> That's all I have to say about that. Um, a handgun... People do get accidentally shot by those. If you have children in a house and you're keeping a gun in your underwear drawer, you should probably be pistol whipped. Well, yeah, I, I loved the story a couple of years back oh, where, what was it, the one-year-old baby God. called its father because they'd left a loaded gun without a safety on under the bed. <sighs> and the kid found it. When the parent walked in, he got shot by his baby. Ah. <sighs> Okay. Um, all I can say is, it, if you have guns and you have children, the best thing that you can do is talk about it, be honest about it, don't lie about it, you know? Um, when I was a child, we were raised with hoes, we were raised with threshers, we were raised with with all sorts of really dangerous shit, which probably would get my parents um, thrown in jail now. But we were also raised with all kinds of weapons. Guns, knives, axes, um, crossbows, bows and arrows, uh, sticks, certain kind of stick fighting. Um, We were raised with all kinds of stuff. That's what you did in the country. Shotguns. um, And being raised that way, I just look upon them as a tool. And with my childhood experience, I can tell you if you teach a child about a tool, what a tool is used for, and show them, generally you don't have problems. I think the problems come about when you hide stuff. I really do think that. Uh, my grandchildren were here all weekend, and none of them was none of them were harmed in any way, shape, or form. And Grandma has a Henry Golden Boy hanging on the wall in her living room. Just saying. It all depends on how children are raised. That's the one thing I can tell you for sure. And honesty goes a long way. Hiding stuff from a child is really the wrong way to go. Their well, brains the whole, the whole might not be fully formed, thing. but they understand more than you think. Go ahead. Um, my, the guns in the house thing, one of my uncles, he hasn't got them now because of stupid things he did. But he had somewhere <laughs> in the region of 300 firearms in his house. None of his kids have been shot, shot anybody, done anything stupid with guns. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of it comes from society acting like children are these frail little things. Um, 
you know, not using allowed. It, using ignorance as a form of a way of keeping people safe is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. There are ways to deal with things. Hiding things from children is not one of them. And Jeannie, if you get hate mail, I'm sorry. Because it'll probably be directed at me for saying some of this stuff. But a lot of the ways children are being raised is wrong. I don't yeah. have kids, I mean, but I can tell you. Yeah. Keeping a child ignorant is one of the worst things you can do. All these if, do-gooders keep saying that they want children to be treated like adults and brought up properly. And all these things they keep doing... But you need to protect them and shelter the them from way. every fucking thing. Yeah. Really? No, you don't. Yeah. Kids need to be kids. Yes. One of the worst things you can do is when your neighbor sends their six-year-old kid out to play and they're there or they're watching while they're doing fucking dishes is call the goddamn police. And people do that all the time these days. Yes, they do. And then child and child services shows up at their houses and tells them that they're, you know, being they're danger to their own children for letting them play outside. It's ridiculous. As a society, we have a problem. The children are the excuse for everything. They're not an excuse. There's something if you have children that you've chosen to have. Help make them complete adults. Don't turn them into complete morons and complete idiots who can't handle living in this world. You really want a 27-year-old kid who's afraid to take the city fucking bus? Is that what you want? Do you want a kid that doesn't know how to fail? You really don't want that. Not for your kids. You really don't. Yeah, you're reminding me of the... uh the Paradisian films where um, young children have a sports event and everybody gets a medal. <laughs> well, that actually happens. Losing, it's I mean, taking part. It's like, when what? my niece was growing up, and now she's 21, and she was supposed to graduate high school in December, still hasn't graduated high school. So she has the fulfilling career of being a hostess now which is fine. I'm happy she was able to find a job. Um, but it took her forever. Um, still hasn't graduated high school. Still can't correctly spell the name of the town she lives in. And her parents treated her like that. They wrapped her in cotton wool and she's a moron. She is a literal idiot. And I will tell you, I used to look at her and go, God, your only career options are like porn or stripping. You know, uh, to me, that's horrible. Uh, you shouldn't look at somebody and think that. But when you shelter and overprotect a child, you don't. You're, you're not, not helping giving. Them. No, you're not. You're not giving them a good start in life. You're setting them up to fail instead of setting them up to succeed. And that's just sad. And all of that bullshit of protect the children, don't let them see somebody smoking, don't let them walk outside alone. 
that bullshit has got to stop. It has to. For all of our sakes. Okay. Now I'm going to read the story that Jeannie liked. It's a very Christmassy picture. Kind of. It wasn't (laughs) horrible. It wasn't great, but it wasn't horrible. A Hello Kitty gun for Christmas. More women are getting firearms as gifts. When Terry Gallagher's husband told her to close her eyes on Christmas while he went to get her present, she did not expect he would return with an AR-15. He had already bought her two guns, including a Ruger 10-22 rifle for her 50th birthday, her very first gun. Her friends had even joked, I don't understand what you're doing. You're arming your wife. What more did I need, asked Gallagher, a Northern Virginia real estate agent. But Gallagher's shock quickly gave way to endearment. Her husband told her he built the semi-automatic rifle, especially for her, with lighter materials to make it easier for her to fire. Her spirits were made bright. Giving your wife a high-powered rifle for Christmas might seem in conflict with the two turtle doves in peace on Earth, not to mention making the gun-controlled crowd shudder. But gun store owners and firearm instructors say gun-happy husbands are increasingly leaving weaponry under the tree for their beloveds. Rifles, handguns, ammo, pretty much anything that makes a loud pop. This year, husbands are even going to social networks seeking advice. On Reddit, a man recently posted, Hey people, looking to get my wife a revolver for Christmas. One reply put function over form. While it is tempting, knowing men, to suspect they are purchasing the guns they want for themselves and wrapping them up for their wives, Homer Simpson, really, why is Homer in this story, once gave Marge a bowling ball with his name on it. Gun experts say otherwise. They link gun gifts with a transformation in some women's views towards firearms fueled by an industry marketing push. I think that's bullshit, too. 23% of American women owned guns in 2011, according to Gallup polling, up from 13% in 2005. And nearly 80% of gun retailers surveyed by the National Shooting Sports Foundation reported increases in female customers from 2011 to 2012. Gun experts and academics say there are several explanations for women's growing interest in firearms, including a broad shift of gun culture away from hunting, a desire for personal protection, and an industry carefully appealing to women with female-only accessories, including bra and panty holsters, and colorful guns. People have even tried to customize guns with Hello Kitty, apparently for real or as a prank. I find that once they get a gun, the fever starts, said Tina Wilson-Cohen, the founder of She Can Shoot, a Virginia-based organization that trains women in several states to shoot. They will literally get one for the range, one for walking the dog, one because it's pink and purple. It starts. They love it. That's what happened to Laurie Lawfrey, a 24-year-old in Fredericksburg, Virginia. At her birthday party last year, her then-boyfriend, now-husband, told her to come out to his car for her present. He wasn't sure how her friends and family would react to a gun. Laurie was confused. I'm like, wait, what does this mean? Is it a ring? It was not a ring. He handed her a brand new gun, a blue 38 special. Blue is my favorite color, she said, so seeing that it was blue was really cool. Laurie began shooting with Pistol Packing Ladies, a Northern Virginia group helping women as it puts it grow as shooters and empowered women. 
Last year for Christmas, her husband bought her a 9mm Ruger, a slightly smaller match to his Walther 9mm gun. Like his and hers, she said. They like shooting together, and she frequently wins. He is faster, she says, but I am more accurate. Ah, shooting love. There's nothing quite like it. There's something about the smell of gunpowder we both like. Why is... God damn you. I can't... I can't scroll down. Can anybody else scroll? Or is it updating? (laughs) Um... Hang on. Um, uh, Lori began shooting with pistols and packing ladies in a Northern Virginia group, helping women, as it puts, grow as shooters and empowered women. Last year for Christmas, her husband bought her a 9mm Ruger, a slightly smaller match to his Walther 9mm. Like his and her, she said, like shooting together, and she frequently wins. He is faster, she says, but I am more accurate. Ah, shooting love. There's nothing quite like it. By the way, I I do happen to like the smell of gun oil and gunpowder, folks. There is something about the smell of gunpowder that we both like, said her husband, John Laurie, a civilian Marine Corps employee. It's also just fun. It's friendly competition at its finest. This Christmas, he got her an early present, a PS90 assault rifle. Nice. It was the best Christmas present ever, she said. Lori got lucky with his purchase for his wife. They suited her just fine. It's not always the case. Gun store owners and female firearm instructors say that men, being men, often buy their wives guns that are too powerful to fire and too large to hold for comfortability and safety. Guns are like cars, said Tyler. Tyler Widby. Wide, wide, be Whatever. The owner of <laughs> TW Firearms in Leesburg, Virginia. You might like driving a Corvette, but what your wife really wants is a minivan. Not really. No woman ever wants a minivan, guys. <laughs> I'm just saying. And if you show up with a Corvette, she's never going to drive it. She's not going to like it. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> um, Cone had a slightly different metaphor. It's like me going out and buying you underwear. It's a very individualized thing. Um, I'd argue that, too. That's why Wilson Cohen and gun store owners line up behind the safest of all gun gifts, the gift certificate. That's a smart move, fellas. Just saying. Mm-hmm. That, that lets the wife come in and try out a number of different guns first. In its tips and the NSF, NSSF, sorry, mentioned gift certificates to head off any confusion over federal firearm laws. But even with gift certificates, some gun owners, some gun store owners, have to lay down the law with know-it-all husbands. Guys like to show off, said Randy Farmer, the owner of Free State Gun Range in Middle River, Maryland. Mm-hmm. I tell them, I tell them right to their face. When your wife or girlfriend is in here, she is the boss. She is going to make the decisions about what she wants to shoot. If she shoots something big once and doesn't want to shoot it again, that's the end of that. Don't bother her. Asked how he caters to women, Farmer said, I've got a whole section <laughs> of pink guns now. I, and, and, okay, Dan, I do not have a, a single fucking pink gun. None. No pink guns in this house. Not, not one. Just saying. I know. I know. <sighs> None but here either. More, yeah, but there have been more subtle changes in the industry too. Natalie Foster, the host of an on, the host of an online national 
Rifle Association shooting lifestyle show for women called Love at First Shot, said Smith & Wesson, her show sponsor, now includes several different sized back straps for some of its guns, making it easier for women to find comfortable grips. Other companies, including the Sig Sauer, are offering scaled-down versions of firearms aimed at military and law enforcement customers. Cabela's, a major outdoor retailer that's really fucking expensive, by the way, <laughs> has a special section online for female shooters with products hand-picked with women in mind. Isn't that nice? That's <laughs> coming from the women. This is coming from the women, Foster said. These companies are just meeting the demand. Gun control advocates disagree, saying gun manufacturers are targeting women with fear. Oh, God. They need to find new markets in order to survive, said John Rosenthal, the founder of Stop Handgun Violence, a Boston-area organization. They have oversaturated the male market. You're a fucking idiot, dude. (laughs) Men have all the guns they could ever want. No, 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 Rosenthal. You are a fucking moron. There is no such thing as too many. For Gallup. The recipient of the Christmas AR-15 shooting has been a way for her to excel at a sport with and against her husband that doesn't require a lot of athleticism. She has always gravitated to games that require a lot of hand-eye coordination, ping-pong, billiards, now guns. It's something that we found that we could do together that we really enjoyed, she said. She is taking firearms classes and practicing with She Can Shoot, which is hosting a firing range event the day after Christmas so women can have an opportunity to fire their gifts. The next thing I want to cross off my bucket list, Gallagher said, is skeet shooting. Oh, my God. You it's mean really to tell me that, that a woman is going to fire a 12 or 10-gauge shotgun 75 times? Oh, my God. This is just, this is just un- unfucking believable Women can't do that. Um, I, my biggest well, issue with this whole fucking article, I like I like this calls. article, except mm-hmm. for the, the 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 moron, uh, Mr. Rosenzal, because he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> and um, I had an issue with the fact that they were talking about an AR being a high powered rifle. I was going to say that too. I was because like, That's the funny. fact of the matter is, it's a two twenty three. Yeah. Okay, it's a two twenty three. It's not a fucking Barrett fifty cal. <laughs> I bet the other woman who got the PS ninety was happy though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nice gun. I actually yesterday I actually saw a sort of AK AR hybrid, and that that looked really interesting to me. It just the lower part was an AK, and the upper part was an AR. So well, it would be they, more. <laughs> These high-powered rifles and assault weapons by the look of them. I know. Well, it has nothing that, to do with them, really. Go ahead. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with it because, you know, look at the Chrysler 3000. I mean, they're a pretty mean-looking car, but it's not. <laughs> I'm looking for a video that I need to that people to see. <laughs> Sorry. Well, and uh, if people are going to use that logic, then a three-year-old should get to watch Family Guy, right? Because it looks like a cartoon. <laughs> um, no, not really. But um, hey, 
maybe in other people's households, that's cool. Um, I liked the story. I didn't like the story. I got a I blue 38 special. Who the fuck? Really? Never mind. Go ahead. Yeah. I liked it better than the first one. <laughs> because the fact that they're openly talking about women that, that are asking for guns as gifts um, is, is a good thing. You know, my Henry Golden Boy was a gift. That Beretta U-22 that I absolutely love was a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've, I've gotten a lot of them. Um, my 13th birthday, my father handed me a 308 that he made for me for deer hunting um, that he even carved the stock special for me. Um, he put a thumb hole in the stock on this thing so it was easier for me to carry as a 13-year-old girl. Oh, my God. Hold the fort. Somebody call the fucking police. I got a three oh eight rifle for my birthday at 13. Times there should are, be a law about that somewhere, you fucking idiots. They're, they're, okay, I'm done. There probably is a law about that somewhere in New York State, I'm sure. Because um, they don't. I'm, I'm, like, dro- I'm dropping a video in the chat. Okay. <laughs> they don't like the Second Amendment. It's, about, it's, it's related to the women and guns thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know... Um, now, this is a high-power weapon. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. A, a gun is a tool. It's yeah. a tool. It's a tool. Based, and the actions are based on the idiot holding it. Yeah, the tool can be held by a tool. Yeah. <laughs> I think... And I wanted to look because I think the AR-15 is selectable too. I mean, look uh, some models are. So I have to look. I have one. I have one. <laughs> it's selectable, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mine is. Okay. So. Um. You know, I'm much more comfortable with a handgun than a rifle, and I like shotguns. You really wouldn't want to be in back of me shooting one. Um, <laughs> because I'm really small. So, well, you know. Look at the video I linked to. The little woman in that has no trouble. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying, you know, as far as guns that I like. So, you know, but everything is a tool. I, there was... We have a shock, a tech gauge, Jan, that you would like. Yeah. Nice. Well, you wouldn't like to hold it up forever, but um, yeah, it's a Benelli. Yeah. They've got a tube of liquid mercury in the stock. Uh-huh. And yeah, it absorbs yeah. recoil so Ooh. well. But it's heavy. Right. Well, I mean, they're all they're all heavy. It's not natural to hold your arms out like that for a, in an extended period. Well, that's why bullpup weapons are so popular these days. Yeah, well... Um, you know, I, like I said, a, a gun is a tool. It, it depends on the hands that it's in. And there are responsible people that use guns. And then there are fucking idiots who have them. And they're it's everywhere. Same as a car is a tool, a hammer is a tool, an axe is a tool. All of which have been used to kill people. Well, in Australia couple weeks ago, and I, I about lost my shit about this. Somebody stabbed 15 people to death. Children. 15 children. Just stabbed 15 children to death. 
you know what their gun laws are like there in Australia. And I was so mad. I'm reading this and I'm going, you know, and I'm, I'm reading the story and I'm going, you know what? A weapon is a tool. It's the person that using it, who's actually the weapon. And that's pretty much all I have to say on that. So the woman in that case, uh, has, was arrested by the police after the incident. It was yeah. it was actually eight children. Seven of them were her own children. Yeah. And one was her niece. Oh, Jesus. Having yeah. seven children is what made her crazy. Uh, well, you know, well, maybe. Well, since there was no one else seen in the building and she was the only survivor, yeah, the police didn't have to do a lot of work on that one. Oh, wait, I should take that back because I'm going to get hate mail over that statement. I'm not against anybody having seven kids. I'm just saying, in my personal opinion, I think you're fucking nuts for having seven kids. <laughs> you know, it, it people will kill people with whatever they have at hand. I just don't think you should take away somebody's right to protect themselves. Well, yeah, I mean, they're going to ban hands eventually. I like my hands. If you don't have hands, work, you can't use I, a weapon. I'm going to have to have, like, detachable hands. You know, uh, that's not going to work very well. How am I going to text? <laughs> yeah, but there's a lot of states that have have laws on the books that if you, if you have martial arts training, your hands are considered a deadly weapon. I'm like, wait a fucking minute. If Joe Schmo's hands aren't a deadly weapon, then neither are his. It's, th- th- this is ridiculous. It's because you've been trained oh, because this to person use them. trained to protect themselves and defend themselves. They're now a deadly weapon. What? What is that? Yeah, under British law, um, people who do martial arts and boxing, if you have a fight, even if it's nothing, you know, if somebody attacks you, you'll still get um, done for assault with a deadly weapon. God. Because you've been trained how to hit somebody effectively. <laughs> Well, tell them to watch YouTube, because I'm sure there's some fool on there with videos that'll teach you how to do it, too. It's not yeah. my fault that you... It's not my fault that you lack the ambition to learn. I, I, I didn't get trained, so, yeah. But I'm sure I could kill somebody if I really tried. Uh, you know, um, it's just amazing to me what the government will try to control. And if you ask me to pinpoint the minute when the nanny state really revved up, I would tell you it was the World Health Organization meeting where they decided they really needed to make people think that tobacco smoke was killing children. That would be the moment when all this shit we're living through now really started ramping up and it became the textbook case when they saw that it worked to try to force it on foods. Let's ban the advertising of sugary foods, no more cartoon characters. You, you know, nothing should be advertised. You've got some of those nutters over there. Very, we've got some here. Um, we're all just corrupting children. And I don't think that's the truth. But it is a really good excuse 
for any government around the world to ban anything they don't like because it's for the children. Okay. I think this is the last one I'm going to do. Um... Internet privacy is a fantasy, will merely be a fetish by 2025, according to experts. If you're still holding out hope for the preservation of internet privacy, you may need to adjust your ideals a little bit. I didn't like this story. The future of online privacy is cloudy, and policymakers and technology innovators have a weighty task on their hands, one they're likely to fumble. This is one of the overarching findings of a recent canvassing of more than 2,500 experts by Pew Research Center's Internet and American Life Project. The Future of Privacy is a report from Pew forecasting whether policymakers and technology leaders will be able to create a secure, popularly accepted, and trusted privacy rights infrastructure by 2025 that allows for business innovation and monetization while also offering individual choices for protecting their personal information in easy-to-use formats. You should have a pay-to-drop-out kind of thing. About 55% of respondents said they don't think the above will actually happen, while the other 45% said they do think a satisfactory privacy infrastructure will be established in the next 10 years. A shared sentiment from both sides of the table was that online life is inherently public, something that won't surprise anyone who's part of a social network or has kept up with news headlines in recent years. Pew highlighted the anonymous response, privacy will be the new taboo and will not be appreciated or understood by upcoming generations. The report listed a number of common ideas shared by respondents, including privacy and security are foundational issues of the digital world we are living in, Uh, An unprecedented condition of ubiquitous surveillance. We need little more than personal convenience to be compelled to share our personal information. And privacy norms are always changing. Another theme gleamed from the response to Pew's canvassing is that an arms race of sorts is unfolding. One between privacy protecting technology and privacy penetrating technology. As Google Glass and attendant projects grow, the so-called Internet of Things becomes increasingly aware of literally everything. And as programmers begin jumping on algorithmic schemes to sift, curate, and protect the, predict the data, notions of privacy will be considered to be a fetish, according to an attorney at a major law firm. Lovely. So there's that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I really think there should be a pay to opt out scheme. You know, it, it doesn't is. have to be much. Don't have a computer. Don't have a smartphone. Well, yeah, you can have a dumb phone. Yeah, but I, mean, I guess that would be the only way to be secure. Would be to use old technology, United States Postal Service to send letters. But even then, you know, those are being photographed and tracked. By the government, so that's only as secure as you can make it, I guess. Well, Write everything in invisible to, ink. Go back to trading <laughs> um, carrier pigeons. Yeah. Carrier pigeons. Yeah. I don't want to go back to pre-1910 <laughs> technology, if I can help it. I think there's a way to find a solution, and I think the Electronic Frontier Foundation's doing a pretty good job. I completely support them. 
um, in what they're trying to do. So hopefully they have some more success in 2015. Here's to privacy. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are losing their privacy online because they don't know how to protect their privacy online. That's what it comes down to. It's not down to these companies. Yeah, but it's been made increasingly difficult. Yeah. It's been made increasingly difficult by a government that demands backdoor access to everything. Yeah. You know, there's vulnerabilities in every program you use. Um, The government has infiltrated Tor. That's how they took down the Silk Road thing and (laughs) Silk Road 2. Well, when you say the government infiltrated Tor, that's not strictly speaking true. Well, they made Tor. Yeah. You know, well, they so came up with the idea of Tor. To... Programmers got it working. And other programmers fell out with those programmers and let the government <laughs> yeah. into it. Well, yeah. I mean, there is no perfect solution. And somebody asked me the other day how Tor worked. I'm like, oh, it works fine. I wouldn't recommend streaming any fucking video on it. But Tor works fine. <laughs> You know, if you want to see something you don't normally get to see or you don't feel like being tracked looking at something, Tor's great for that, but it's slow as shit. That's why but I prefer it, L2P. But it works. That's why hmm? I prefer L2P. Yeah. It's quicker. You still can't stream video, but it's a lot faster <laughs> getting around. And it's more Nothing's secure. fast enough for streaming mm-hmm. video because most of it is, is peer-to-peer. And that's the problem. There aren't enough people willing to do it because it really does. It turns your bandwidth speed to shit. Yeah, L2P is not bad. Well, I'm I'm talking about just for nodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Networks. Tor, nodes. Tor no is, one really yeah. wants to set those up. Tor is a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, well, it kind of is. When it comes to but, internet technology, it's a dinosaur. Well, it was originally yeah, conceived but, in the 70s. So, yeah. So am I. <laughs> I'm a dinosaur. I mean, you've got to realize yeah, but, but I haven't are, had a computer for... You aren't speeding along at quite the same speed that... Yeah, uh, well, I've only had a computer is. about nine years. Yeah. So I'm a dinosaur too. And I'm pretty comfortable with Tor, but there are other options. Oh, yeah. And I would recommend um, learning them. I'm trying to... Because I'm not uncomfortable with the idea of the dark web. Oh, it's a fun place. (laughs) It's going to be a necessary place, I think. I think we're heading to the point where it will all be very necessary. And I don't like the idea of it, but I like the fact that it still exists. Um, So I think that's it. Did anybody have anything? Don't think so. Genie? Oh, yeah. Don't fly on a Malaysian airline. They're not good. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 fly any airlines from Malaysia. Um They're not off to run a lot. Yeah, how the fuck did they do? <laughs> How did they lose two? <laughs> uh hard telling, but um, it's like again? <laughs> The worrying thing this time is it was a different airline. Well, you know. um, They're both Malaysian airlines. So, yeah, I think they're all on that island from Lost. 
Kidding. Oh, oh, and the other the other uh, humorous one is the Sony uh, um, web attack, where the hackers are being chased by other hackers now. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. I was pretty pissed off with Lizard Squad. Yes. Christmas. I was really yes. pissed. You know, you get brand new gaming system in my house and you can't fucking use it. Thank you, Lizard Squad. Suck my ass. I just, <laughs> and it's not even mine. That's the thing that pisses me off. I'm like, why are you doing this? Oh, we're showing solidarity with the Islamic State. Fuck you. They're doing it because they're young and stupid. Because yep. they pissed off the older hackers. <laughs> they did. Yeah. Anonymous was like, yeah, I don't think we're going to play this game anymore. And the best yeah. part was when, um, is it Valor Squad or Humble Squad? One of them started posting their IP addresses yeah. to, the, <laughs> at, to the FBI on Twitter. That was kind of great. Yep. They're at FBI. Lizard Squad thought they were smart, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, watch out for the older hackers. They know what they're doing. They've been doing it longer. Yeah, well, um, the other thing about Lizard Squad is they're setting up tour nodes. Yeah. FYI. So That's why I say I prefer L2P. <laughs> don't blame you. I yeah. don't blame you at all. Um, also, I would like to say that um, I am pretty much tell you I'm never going to see that shitty movie, that shitty Seth Rogen comedy, um, <laughs> ever. I just thought I would throw that out there. The interview. Yeah. You know, and I don't mind Seth Rogen movies. I think they're kind of funny. I actually like Seth Rogen. But um, I have no desire to see that shit. No desire at all. And it made $15 million on Christmas Day. Because they released it on the internet for streaming, and they charged for fifteen million dollars. It and, made and much the, more the than it would have given them just getting a theater release. Because you know Seth Rogen does not make free, A-list films. The hackers gave them huge quantities of free advertising, basically. <laughs> no, not Joe Rogan, Seth Rogan. The interview, that horrible movie. Yeah, the horrible, so horrible movie. Because you know they got hacked over it, and, yeah. blah blah blah, and oh, it was a pa- pa- your patriotic duty to see the interview. I'm like, what? Fuck you, Sony. It's a comedy <laughs> film. <laughs> Piss off. Yeah, it's all fucked up. It's on. It, it appears to be on my computer, but I haven't got around to watching it yet. It just you know, turn, I, you know, films um, turn up. You know, and, yeah, I I can um. Can I honestly tell you the last few Seth Rogen movies haven't been all that really great. Um, Zack and Mary Make a Porno was okay, yeah. um, but I, I think that was because of the director. Well, yes, it had a bit of Kevin Smith uh, involved. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Kevin Smith films are just pretty good, <laughs> generally speaking. And Jason mm. Mewes is scary in that film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think that might be it. Have a good week, guys. Um, Don't keep your money in the banks. Just FYI. Um, And we'll see you in 2015. Advert. Advert.
Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 caliber, 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 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, <laughs> manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice find ammunition at the best prices fast ammoseek.com she started new year early. she she just wanted to emphasize the word caliber <laughs> <laughs> don't know what happened there i'll check that later uh, yeah, yeah, um, they only report it to the t- to the uh atf if it's said so many times in- <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure this whole show gets reported to the atf every week there's not a week we don't talk about guns there are so many nice ones. Yeah, fact of life. Um, see you in 2015, guys. Have a good new year. Night.